Um, Psalm chapter 90. Hey, guys, really quick. The Bible says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And tonight we're taking a break from Mark because I kind of wanted to to speak into something that was kind of tragic that happened this week. Um, If you don't know, it's fine. Don't make a big deal of it. But there's a student who passed away at Black Hills High School. And death is always a tragic thing. Uh, Death is not what God has originally designed us for. But the sobering truth is that every single one of us in this room will one day die. Um, But more tragic is when it happens to someone who's young and full of life. And so tonight I want to look at Psalm 90 and maybe take a few principles about how to think through the immortality of life and just the the very fact of being human. And and sometimes that, that means that we... Weep with those who weep, and we lament the short days that we have. So let's go ahead and look at this psalm. This is actually the third time I've been able to teach on this psalm at this church. And every time I, um, I preach on it, I feel like it becomes more relevant. Um, something about the psalm that Moses wrote says a lot. So let's go ahead and look at it, starting in verse 1. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet, their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and we just come before it humbly. God, we are dependent on you for, for everything, and therefore, Lord, in this hour, we are dependent on you to come and to speak to us, to encourage us, to uplift us, and to remind us of the gospel. We pray that this would glorify you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. I'm not sure what your initial reaction to that psalm was, 
Um, but I remember the first time reading it, um, verse 12 was a verse that really stuck out to me, where Moses says, "Return." Uh, excuse me, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And that really is the heart of this psalm, where Moses is actually leading a lament psalm. Now, I want you guys to know some things, just like an observation. I find it deeply, deeply encouraging that in God's book of songs, the book of Psalms, there is a whole section dedicated to lamenting, to having a sad song, to just kind of mourning and weeping the harsh realities of life. Why am I encouraged by that? Because sometimes I feel like, one, we live in a culture in which you always want to put on the best face. And more than that, even in church culture, I think there's this kind of um, pressure that, that we don't share too much with people. That kind of, we have to put on this, maybe, maybe a mask, but maybe not intentionally, of like, oh, I'm doing okay. Like, I can't really let people know how I feel. Because like, I'll be honest, like, sometimes I just want to cry. And when I get to church and the song is just like, clap your hands, be happy, joyful, joyful. Like deep in my heart, there is turmoil and stress and anxiety and heavy shoulders that I can feel physically. And I don't want to sing. I don't, I don't want to pretend like everything's okay. And so when, when I come to this psalm, I'm just deeply moved. You know why? Because godly men... Don't hide their emotions. They call it as it is. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is kind of a depressing psalm. If you think about it. And so here's what I want us to, to gather. I don't, I don't want us walk away feeling even more sad and that we have to just never be happy again. But I, I want us to just, one, kind of just absorb this, like, Take it in for a second. Maybe instead of just kind of casually just hearing things like we always do in church and youth group, maybe try to like embody the emotion of Moses here in the psalm. And so I think for me, and able to, to kind of talk about some of the, the realities of the shortness of life, the realities that, as Moses says here, man are but grass, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, but in the evening it fades and withers. For me, I, I have to just share my own story with wrestling with some of these real hard things of life. When I was in college, I remember, it's funny when like big moments happen in life, you can remember like every little detail. I was at work, it was a Saturday night in December, it was cold and rainy. Let me tell you, there's nothing, any, there's nothing worse in life then 34 degree rain. It's, and just having to stand in it all night. Like you just wish it would snow. And I remember I, got, I hopped into a car. That's what I did for my job. And I was valeting. And I get this text message. And it was from my pastor. And it was super vague. But something about my friend David Kennedy was in the hospital. Now, David Kennedy had been one of my closer, if not my best friends, since maybe my sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, I feel like for like a couple of months there, Jacob, like, how long did you think you lived at our house for? A good minute? <laughs> yeah. And I remember he got out of school early and I was still in high school, but he's living with us. And it was like three in the morning and I'd open my eyes and I'd see him 
in the corner playing World of Warcraft, like going for it. Just like David, like I would get home from school. He's like he was just waking up and this crazy stuff. And I get this phone call that David's in the hospital. Weird. Okay, and so um, fast forward through a lot more details. Uh, David has this really rare heart disease in, in the Navy, cardiomyopathy. And he's in Stanford Hospital, which is like the best heart hospital in the world, and he needs a heart transplant. And David is slotted to be my third groomsman in my wedding in July. He is supposed to be like there on my biggest day. Me and him are just like really good friends. And he gets the heart just in time, and he kind of lives a couple of months, and tragically, he dies of heart rejection. Uh, the day after Christmas, we just get this very sad uh, text message. David was admitted to the hospital. He didn't have a pulse, and he's on life support, pretty much. And it was just a matter of hours before they kind of took him off support, and David died. And it was the first time in my life where I actually had someone not distant but close to me die. And it was the weirdest thing because I was in the middle of Christmas break. So I was, praise the Lord, I was home. Amy and I were engaged and we were together. My, I had my parents there. But two days later, I had to fly back to Chicago to go back to work. I wasn't even able to attend his funeral. And I remember going back to my dorm room because I had to go back early for work. And there was no one there. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I like people. I like, I like noise and energy. Like, if there's a conversation outside, I want to go be a part of it, right? And it was so quiet. Like, I'd go to work from about 5 to 10 at night. I'd go to bed, and I'd wake up, and there was nothing to do. And there I sat alone, grieving the death of one of my best friends, with no one to talk to, feeling a million miles away from all my friends and family. And what did I do? I'll be honest, I cried so hard. I remember putting my head in the pillow and um, feeling the pillowcase getting drenched because of my tears and having to get a new pillowcase the next day because it was so wet. And I cried and I cried and I cried. And then here's the, maybe the worst part. All right, this even gets worse. People start arriving back from Christmas break. And what happens? Hey, Garnes, good to see him. How was Christmas break? How do you respond to that? Like, it was the worst ever. I've never been more depressed and sad in my entire life. Oh. Like, I didn't say that, but that's what I wanted to say. And so I, I kind of, I remember telling one of my, my managers at work, and, he, you know, he had a heart for me, and he kind of liked me, but he wasn't a Christian, and he's like, hey, man, I... Kind of heard your buddy died. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, well, hey, I got you hot chocolate. And uh, sorry about that. Just the thought that counts, right? So the thought that counts. And so here's the thing. I went months and months and months with not really anyone knowing that I was struggling. I was struggling. And because I, did, I didn't really have... Like the, the ability or the emotional intelligence or, or I feel like the safe place to kind of just be real for a second. I kind of feel like I dealt with it unhealthily. 
I got just mad and bitter and, and some of the stuff that transpired after his death, it just made me really upset. But when I think about that, that situation, so every December 26th now, it's always a very sad day, right? My wife was very close to them as well. This is what I want to remember, though. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. This psalm, I think, would have been the best thing that anyone could have showed me. Because here's what it's all about. It's all about Moses lamenting about how short and brief man's life is. And he's not so much even talking about the shortness of life, but he's also talking about how hard life can be. I mean, sometimes uh, I, I met with a friend at McDonald's today, and for just like 20 minutes, I asked him, I was like, hey man, how's life? I'm just grinding. I'm just, it's just, life's a grind. And oh, I think some of us know that grind all too well. And so here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to walk through this brief psalm, kind of get some principles, and, and learn a little bit about, about what God has to offer us in times where we feel that weight, where life is so hard, we cry inside of a pillow, and we don't have anyone to talk to. When life is so hard sometimes that we just kind of bottle it up because how do we even begin to tell the person next to us how we're really feeling? And I think this psalm really helps us kind of answer some of those questions. So, so I, I have two points, and then I have a number of principles I want us to take from this. Okay, so here's the first point that Moses makes for us, right? He says, he's talking about, the first point, the immortality of God. The immortality of God. Look at verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And so, God, even before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Remember what I said, how this is a community lament. So it might be helpful to know a little bit about the context where Moses is, but in essence, imagine Moses walking around the wilderness with the Israelites. Now they had messed up. They had done a lot of bad things. They, they saw God do some great things, but then they turned their backs on God and they disobeyed him. They got really sinful and sexual and they made this golden calf. And God told the Israelites, not one of you in this generation is going to make it into the promised land. Someone did the math once, and I forget what it was, but like in essence, the amount of people who died per day in the wilderness is astonishing. Like people were dropping, like I think Pastor Carl was telling me like something about like a thousand funerals a day in their land, with the Israelites walking on the wilderness. Can you imagine, like, if you were in the funeral business, how much money you would make? Sorry, like, to, to think of that way, but, like, like, people are, I mean, are dying all over this place. Like, there wasn't one person in Israel at this time who did not know and feel the sting of death. Whether it be by a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband. Everyone knew the hardship of death. And so in this community lament, what do they start with? God, you, you're not like us. God, before you even made the mountains, God, before we were even formed, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. 
I can't even, I, I, I try to think about that sometimes. Like, what did God do before he made everything? Like, it is so hard for us to even fathom that God doesn't even have a beginning. Like, I know what my beginning was. Because I'm told, May 6, 1989. Right? But God, like, he, he is so far out of time that, that he doesn't have a beginning. I'm like, but did you, like, play, like, three-second games of Sudoku? Like, were you guys, the Trinity, playing an I Spy game for a million years? Like, like what, what did you, what did you do? But isn't it, isn't it interesting that in the midst of lament, what do they think about? They think about God. They reflect on who he is and how he's infinitely bigger and more powerful than any of us could ever comprehend. And so I wonder, in times of our personal lament, do we remind ourselves of the God we lament to is too big to comprehend. Like, like sometimes people say you can't put God in a box. Let me tell you something. That is an understatement. Like, no person could ever come close to beginning to understand fully of who God is. He is so far above our comprehension. And Moses says, God, I can't even compete. Like, God, you are so... Big. So he begins by saying the immortality of God. And so when I think of this point, this is what I think of. A lot of us, growing up, we think our dads are invincible. Right? Like, my dad beat up a thousand guys. Well, well, my dad, he makes all the money in the world. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Well, my dad, you know, it's just kind of like this, like, my dad's the best dad or whatever. Maybe my mom, whatever, whatever you want. And I remember thinking, like, growing up, my dad was a really good golfer. Like, he, like, like he won this tournament one time. He won, like, the club championship. And, uh, pull it up here. Anyways, he, uh, he won this tournament. And I'm thinking my entire life, man, my dad's really good. And I would, I would go with him, and he hit the ball really far. And now... The poor guy can't even play two holes without complaining about how his side hurts. I'm like, oh, convenient that you get hurt right when I'm able to kind of compete against you, right? (laughs) And then here's the thing, like, no human being could ever compare to the greatness of God. Could even come close to being on any scale comparable to God. And so after talking about the immortality of God, he begins to talk about the mortality of man. So opposite of God, God is immortal. He has eternal existence. Opposite to that, man does not. We are mortal. We, we will die. And so verse 3, he begins to pick up this theme. He says, you, God, return man to dust and say, returnal children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past." Or as a watch in the night, I mean, imagine Christmas coming up when you're a little kid, you're like, you have a little chain, you're like, man, just four more days to Christmas, two more days to Christmas, and you can't wait for that time to come to open presents, and you think, man, four days is so far away. When I was getting married, we had a, I had a little countdown, I was like, guys, three more months till I get married, and my roommates were like, oh my gosh, three months, that is so far away, Aaron, to kind of like get at me a little bit. I'm like, no, it's not. 
It's right around the corner. It's going to be here. I'm going to blink. But you know what? Three months sometimes does feel like an eternity. But, but for God, a thousand years. It's just a little quick four-hour car drive. For God, it's like a blink of an eye. A thousand years. What's a thousand years to God? And he's saying, for us, man, are you kidding me? Look, look what he says in verse 10. The years of our life are 70. Or, I mean, maybe if we get lucky, if we get lucky, it's 80. But let's, let's put a little cherry on top. What does he add to that? But man, yet their span is but toil and trouble. So if we're lucky, we might get 70 or 80. But guess what? Those 70 or 80 years of life, they kind of suck. It's a grind. It's hard. Nothing comes easy. He says we're mortal. We can't compare it to this immortal God. We, we, can't, we can't compare it to the God who's from everlasting to everlasting. We are people who Moses says are like grass that sprouts up and dies. And so when we consider the immortality of God and the mortality of man. Here's where Moses leads us to the main verse of Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom in the midst of a God who is eternal. And considering that as humans, we are mortals, here's what Moses asked. God, help us to be wise with our time. God, help us to be wise with our time. Life is short. You're eternal. We get that. Life is even hard. But Lord, this is what we're asking. Help us. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to, to let, let us know that these days are not just a quick hard, messy, not meaningful prick of life. God, help us to make something of these days. Let me tell you something, guys. The reality that I just spoke about, the reality of me crying in my pillow so hard is a reality that's coming for all of us one day, if it hasn't happened already. It is a reality of, of looking like Moses and saying, God, man, like, who was like you? Because this life is crazy. This life is hard. And so here, here's what I love about Moses here. He kinda, he, he's kind of complaining. He's lamenting. That's what lamenting is. He's saying, this is hard. This is really hard, God. But this is what we're asking for. So in the middle of them walking around on the desert, the thousand funerals a day, whatever the number is, make us wise with their time. They're asking God to remind them that they are in fact mortal and that he's eternal. Because when they remember that they only have a certain amount of time, that time is a commodity, they will know it will cause them to think differently. I mean, it's, it goes without question that if every single one of us knew that today or tomorrow was our last day, we would live completely different lives. Now, here's the thing. When you know, all this, this country songs and the songs talk about that, let's live like there's no tomorrow, you know, that's bad advice because here's the thing. If we're going to live like we're going to die tomorrow, we're all going to eat ice cream for dinner, and we're never going to work out, we're never going to go to work or school, like, it's bad advice. 
But if we consider how our days are so short, how they are just like grass that is there in the morning and gone in the evening, that if you compare a couple of years to eternity, do you know what that does? It gives you perspective. It gives you perspective. And so, so with this psalm, I just want to give us a few ways in which I think help us kind of get that perspective a little better. Because you guys want to know something? The reason why I like this psalm is, one, like I mentioned, it, it helps us lament. It helps us kind of grieve the reality that we live in, that life is hard, that we have a president who says really horrible things sometimes. And I'm not one to pick on politics, but, but man, sometimes I grieve a leader with so much influence using it for selfish gain. We grieve death. We grieve divorce. We grieve so many things. And so this psalm helps us, one, to see time as a valuable resource. I, I wonder how many of us binge watch Netflix? How many of us are glued to our smartphones? Sometimes my wife asks me what I'm doing. Just trolling Facebook. I'm doing nothing. And here's the thing. I, I think if, if we can kind of capture, like I said, and embody the heart of this psalm, like Moses, where he's, he's literally looking all around him and seeing death, and he says, God, help us to take this time seriously. I think he would, he would tell us that don't, don't waste your time watching just Stranger Things over a weekend. I mean, spread it out over a couple of months, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm all for entertainment. I mean, just the amount of people who, again, I don't know. When did I say this? Like, middle school youth group? I'm convinced that the devil made NFL football be on Sunday. Do you know how many great sermons, not, not, not for me, great sermons have been preached to be immediately forgotten about? It's time for football. If we view time as a valuable resource given from God, I, I think what we'll begin to see is that we will redeem the time. We will find time to be an asset and not a liability. Second thing is I think we need to be mindful of what Scripture says about time. James 4 says that life is a miss. Ephesians 5.16 says to make the best use of time because the days are evil. When Jesus is talking about a second coming, when he's going to come back, he says, concerning that hour, no one knows, not even in the angels, as a way to stimulate them to always be on their guard about making the most of time. And so I, I think the, the relevance here of knowing that, that at any moment it could be us, of knowing that even as I look at my children, right, like, I have, I have two daughters who are four and some other ones, you know, they're, they're growing up too. But this morning, so you have to understand my relationship with my wife to know that this is a joke, not some misogynistic thing. But I looked at my wife and said, there's a song on the radio and TV and it was All I Want for Christmas. And I looked at my wife and said, all I want for Christmas is for my wife to make me coffee, right? <laughs> Thinking I was just joking around with her, right? Two minutes later, my little daughter Abigail comes up to me and says, all I want for Christmas is for Daddy to make me some eggs. 
And I was like, kid, you just came out of the womb yesterday. You can't be this clever. Like, I looked at this four-year-old. I'm like, how did you become so, like, smart? Like, that she can pick up on a joke that I said and think that it's funny and then copy it. Like, I was just holding you like this a minute ago. Give me some eggs, Dad. (laughs) But why do I say that? Just yesterday, they were babies. And now they're making jokes. And, And, you know, blink my eyes, they'll graduate high school. Time is gonna just... It's going to go. Before you know it, like, guys, here's the thing. You'll be graduated from high school. And I guarantee you, in a way, you'll kind of grieve that. And you'll go to college. And guess what? You'll graduate college. I, I, I say it because it's true in my own life. I can't believe that I've been out of high school for 10 years already. Like, it just seems like it's gone too quick. And life doesn't slow down. And so if we just kind of use time as something to sell, just kind of go with it. So, more than this being a time management sermon, let's finish up what Moses says here. So, verse 12, he gives us our verse, right? Teach us the number of days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then in verse 13, he says this, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. I like this verse a lot because imagine Moses trying to say to God, Uncle. God, we, we, we call Uncle. Like, we, we, we can't do it. Okay, you win, all right? You want to show your greatness? You win. God, just, just help us. God, return. How long? God, be, have pity on us. Uncle, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. This is what Moses' prayer became. In the midst of lamenting, in the midst of death, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of knowing that we are immortal and God is mortal, here's our prayer, that your presence would be our joy all of our days. That who cares if life is hard and it's tough, if we have your presence, we will be satisfied. How many of us are satisfied with our relationship with him? How many of us say, I don't, I don't need another thing in life, like, I love the song, right? Give me Jesus. You can have all the things the world offers. Just give me Jesus. Just help me be satisfied with your presence, Lord. That, that's what I need, because this life is hard. It's a grind. The reality is that, that death is looming, and it's here, and it's, and it's, it's all around us. And, and whether we know it or not, if we're, if we're wise enough to pay attention, it is, it is always constant. But satisfy us, Lord, with your love. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. What a verse to say. God, you have afflicted us, but help us to be happy in that affliction. Here's one thing I am confident is true of all Americans. You ready for this? Every American, maybe every Westerner, we hate to suffer. Oh, goodness, we will do anything so we don't have to suffer. We don't want to suffer an embarrassing moment, for goodness sakes. We don't want to suffer any bad thing. We, I mean, sometimes I, I, I just love playing high-low with some of you guys. 
<laughs> right? Because I, th- I mean, as bad as it sounds, like our lows really represent our good. I got a flat tire. The good thing is that you own a car, right? Like, I, I get it. We have, we have bad things. And in, in our normal reality, that's a bad thing that happens. I get it. But really, like, we have so much good. And as Americans, we hate to suffer. But, but, but Moses here is saying, hey, God, even in our affliction, even in our, our hard days, even in our days where we cry in our pillow, what does he say? Make us glad for them. Help us to know that every single day is a blessing given by God. Help us to, the four hours where we have nothing to do, God, help us to be glad in it. Help us to enjoy you in it. Help us to be grateful for the time that we have. So, would you, again, God, be our joy and satisfaction? Last thing you'll want to say, verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work our hands upon us. Just establish the work of our hands upon us. And so Moses prays, God, this life is short. God, this life is hard. God, we grieve and we lament all the death that's around us. We know who you are. God, help us to be wise. And so I don't know if you caught it, but there's three things that he kind of says and help us to be wise. One, that we're satisfied with his presence. Two, that you'd make us glad. But three, that you'd redeem the time. Help us to do something in these days that you've given us. Help us to be profitable. Help us to work hard. Yes, God, establish the work of our hands. Establish them. God, be with it. Help us to not be people who just coast. But help us to be intentional with what we have. You see, in all of this, sometimes when I read this psalm, I, I'm, I think of Moses maybe being someone who looks at God a little begrudgingly. And that might be offensive to say. But I, I think he looks at God, and he, I, again, when he starts with this immortality, he begins, if you notice in verse 2, he says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And if you look at the very end, in verse 17, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God. So twice, he begins with and he closes with this, this statement that, the, that Yahweh is Lord. And he, and he looks at God and he says, you are immortal. And, and here's why I say I think sometimes he might look at God begrudgingly. Because he's kind of saying, God, God you are God and, and you can't even relate to us. God, you don't even know what it's like to be a human. To be someone who suffers and laments and sees people all around us. You're just, you're God. You're the Lord. You're up there. I mean, you transcend us. God, you are bigger than us. And I think in his lament, he's kind of lamenting, like, God, like, what do we even say to you? But here's what, for us as Christians, we are blessed to know about God. We are blessed to know that God, in fact, guys, listen. God can relate to this lament. God, more than anyone, can relate to the pain and grief caused by being moral. More than this, listen. I think God can relate more than anyone else about the times where we put our head in the pillow 
and we cry. Do you want to know why? Because God saw the hardship. He saw the suffering. He saw the death. He saw everything that sin had ruined. And you know what he did? He left heaven's glory to become a baby. And he became a man, just like us. And we know that Jesus experienced the loss of friends and family. Jesus would have probably seen his father die, childhood friends, known a lot of people who died. And you know what? I guarantee that Jesus knew what it was like to bury his head and cry and lament the shortness of life. In fact, Jesus would go to the tomb of one of his good friends, Lazarus. And when he was in the grave, being outraged in spirit, he cried out. Jesus was, when, he, when Jesus looked at death, the God-man looked at death, do you know what he was? He was angry. He was mad in his spirit. And we got the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John 10, 37, Jesus wept. Why? Because when God actually experienced the lament of man's shortness, he knew that this was not the way it was supposed to be. And that is exactly why Jesus had to come and die. That when that Easter morning he would raise from the dead, Jesus would have defeated the powers of darkness and sin and death. And you know what Jesus is able to offer to every single one of us? Life, peace, rest, security. Jesus came in order that he can take away our pain, our hurt, our misery, and death in the world. Eventually, I did find a friend to talk to. And I remember uh, him approaching me and said, hey, Garnes, I know it's been a while, but I know that back in Christmas time, your, your buddy died. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I'd love to. And in this conversation... I sat there and I just talked about memories of my friend. I talked about how he was supposed to be in my wedding. I talked about how I think it's really sucky because he was a cross uh, country runner and he was really fast, but yet his heart gave out on him. And I, and I just talked and I got choked up. And eventually my friend just said, hey, Aaron, it's really hard, but I just want to give you hope. And since Jesus rose from the dead, there's always hope. I'm glad that your friend knew Jesus. I'm glad that one day you'll see him again. But all the hardship and all the hurt and all the misery of life, here as Christians, what we get to proclaim to others. Here is what we get to live in for ourselves. Here's where we get to, when we are crying in our pillows, remember, here's what we get to remember. That because Jesus rose from the dead, there is always, always, always hope. You guys, this is what we get to bring to the world. A world that, that whether they show it or not, a world, I think, like most of us, we kind of hide it, but, but deep down, probably when the lights go off, they cry in their pillow too. We get to proclaim to this world that we have hope, that we have joy, that God is our, what does he say? Our satisfaction. And because Jesus came and because he died and ultimately because he rose from the dead, there is always, always, always hope.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Psalm chapter 90. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us hearts that desire to be wise. Lord, I pray that we would look at your word, not as uh, some old book that is trying to bark orders at us, but Lord, help us to see your word as your kind, generous wisdom to us. Lord, I know there are many students here who deep down inside have a lot of turmoil, who have a lot of hurt, have a lot of anxiety. And God, for whatever reason, at times, Lord, we all feel like we can't really share with anyone. That whether it's too awkward or we're afraid we're going to cry, Lord, whatever it is, I just pray that we learn to lament well. That as we see in your word, people, they were sad. That life is hard. And Father, I pray that that the students in this room, that they would find leaders and parents and friends to just speak about what's hard in life, what's difficult. And Lord, I pray that when we consider these heavy things, we always, always, always remind ourselves of the hope we have in our resurrected Savior. The hope we have in our sinless Messiah who saw the misery that we were in, who saw the the sickness and death and, and saw the decay of the world. And instead of staying in heaven, he leaned in and he came. So Lord, I pray that when we remind ourselves of Jesus, we would have thankful hearts. Thankful hearts to know, God, that you can redeem the time that you can be our steadfast presence, that you, Lord, can be our everything. God, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.